0: Turning again in God's word to Ephesians chapter two. Ephesians chapter two. I think we probably should read all fourteen verses again, but we won't do that. Uh, we'll read the we'll read the first uh, four verses again together, uh, verses 1 to 4, and there the Word of God says, and there are great verses in this chapter, verses that uh, we'll refer to and certainly remind us of what Christ has done for us. Ephesians 2, the verse 1, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Where in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the earth the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who was rich in mercy, for his great love werewith, he loved us. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of His Word this evening. Let us unite together in prayer, and let us seek the Lord. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We rejoice in Thy truth tonight. We thank Thee that Thy Word is a living Word. Thy Word has a message for us this evening. And Father, we pray tonight that as we come to Thy Word, we would indeed place the preaching of Thy Word in Thy hands, relying upon Thy help, relying upon Thy strength. Father, we pray that Thou would take away those distractions, maybe things that are wholesome and good, and uh, maybe things that are even uh, of Thee and godly, but yet would distract from where our focus is this evening. Father, we pray that Thou would come and minister Thy Word to our hearts by Thy Spirit. Convict of sin, we pray. May Christ be seen in all His fullness as a loving and gracious and merciful Savior. We pray, Father, that we would rejoice in what Thou has done for us. We pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. The social media platform of Facebook has an interesting feature that some of us may have used or certainly privately appreciated if we use Facebook, namely that of memories. Memories is a simple notification that reminds you daily of what you may have posted on that same day the previous year or the year before that or several years prior. And often we would reshare those posts, or we send them to friends and family, or we privately reflect upon uh, something that we shared at that time that maybe encouraged us. Maybe it's a special memory. Maybe it's a place we visited. Maybe it is a time spent with family and friends, and uh, we posted something, and Facebook comes, and reminds us of that. Maybe one of the very few good things about Facebook, being reminded uh, perhaps of encouraging quotations or of a special family time. Uh, But perhaps you don't have Facebook, yet you understand what we're saying. There are things that happen in life. There are things we come across day by day that trigger memories, that remind us of perhaps what we were like or what we were experiencing in days gone by. Possessions or pictures, cards, letters that remind us of memorable events that are important to us in life. And the Word of God, it does the exact same thing. as It reminds the Lord's people of Israel who they once were, reminding them of their former condition. This is true of Israel regarding their time in Egypt, for the book of Deuteronomy tells us, Uh, And referring to these people, and thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt, and the Lord thy God redeemed thee. And the Lord, not just here in this verse we read in Deuteronomy 15, verse 15, but in many other places as well, the Lord is reminding his people, those who were in captivity, uh, those who were brought out of the land of Egypt, not only them, but uh, those who uh, were their offspring. Of what they used to be. They were slaves. They were in captivity. They had no hope. Nothing they could do could redeem themselves. And the Lord is saying, Remember this. Remember this. Why? Because, as it says at the end of that verse, the Lord thy God redeemed thee. Remembering their former condition of slavery brought their attention and their memory back again to the fact that they were no longer a slave because of Christ, or because of their Lord. And the same is true of us. We're reminded of our former condition time and time again in the Word of God, and we are remember, reminded that Christ redeemed us. When we think of our former condition before God, this is not the special happy memories of olden times with family. These are not the kind of things we may want to publicly share on social media. They are painful Remembrances of the fact that we were guilty, hell deserving sinners in the sight of God with no hope in and of ourselves. And if we continually remind ourselves of that former condition, then oh, how we will truly value what we now are in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 2, this is what the apostle is striving toward. In chapter 2, in the verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. He reminds them of their former condition, and he reminds them now of who they are in the Lord Jesus Christ. A verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 2, But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. A verse that reminds us, And speaking to the Gentiles specifically in the context, those who are far off are brought nigh. They're brought nigh unto God, near unto God, because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these words that we have in verse 1, hath he quickened, set the scene and refer to the use of that word in verse 5. If you have the authorized version in front of you, uh, the King James Version, you'll see that those words hath he quickened are in italics. That means that in the original Greek, uh, that word, those words are not present. Uh, They were put in by the translators to help the flow of the language, to help uh, understand what is being said here. And these verses connect with what we have in verse 5. Verse 5 says, "...even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved." And this is where the apostle is going. He's reminding us of what God has done, what Christ has done for us in quickening us. Or as the original Greek word means, reanimating us. We who were dead have been changed, have been brought back to life because of Christ. And verse 1 says, And you hath he quickened. You have been resurrected, brought back to life as it were. You who were once dead, in trespasses, and in sins. Spiritual life is given. And when we think of these verses, they remind us, dear believer, of our former condition. Before experiencing salvation, yet they are a clear revelation here of why sinners themselves, why sinner you need to be saved. They show us the grave condition of the sinner The sorry position that they are in. And what Christ did in redeeming these sinners in Ephesus shows us in a striking way tonight why sinners need to be saved and why the Lord's people should also rejoice in their salvation. And oh, how important it is for us to understand who we are and our condition of sin and misery in the sight of God. Dear unbeliever tonight, your need of Christ, your need of a Savior, your need to be redeemed and delivered from sin is exactly the same as those in Ephesus who knew not the Savior. They were dead in trespasses and sins, and the exact same is true of you this evening. You too are dead in trespasses and in sins. And this brings us to our title this evening, very simply, Remembering Our Past and rejoicing in our future. Remembering our past and rejoicing in our future. And firstly, we see our depravity. Our depravity in the verse 1. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. And this reminds us very clearly again that those who are not of Christ, those who have never been redeemed or delivered or reanimated, to use that word, resurrected by the Savior, given that spiritual life by Christ, are dead. And you may say, are you out of your mind? You're standing at the front. You can see everything. I'm breathing. I was going to say walking, but everyone's sitting down. You're breathing. You're blinking. You're looking. Some were smiling. You're not dead. You're alive. But spiritually speaking, the Word of God says, while you may be physically alive, you are spiritually dead in sins. And why is that? Sin characterizes the life of believers before they were converted. Sin characterizes the lives of those who know not the Savior. They live in spiritual deadness. There is physical life, but there is no possession of spiritual life. The soul of man is completely and utterly dead toward God. No life. No life. Oh, how the deadness of man is seen in this world. The depravity of man. The wickedness that man has in his heart. We only need to think of those things the atheist says about God. Or how the atheist says if God exists, well, and I stand before Him, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. And they're going to have a debate and they're going to have a a discussion with God and it's all going to go on their side. The Word of God reminds us that when the sinner stands before God, there is silence. Silence. Oh, how man out of his own depravity will come and say all manner of things, but yet, in reality, man will be silent before a holy and righteous God. One atheist quite well known in the United Kingdom, said in regard to entering heaven, he said a lot of things, but he said this, I wouldn't want to get in on his terms, God's terms. They are wrong. They are wrong. Oh, how blasphemous that is. When we look at the Word of God, it reminds us that this depravity is a depravity that affects man a depravity that affects man. When we look at this phrase in verse 1, who were dead in trespasses and sins, the Greek of this phrase is interesting. The case used is that of referring to a location or a realm or a sphere to be in something. The sinner is not dead uh, because they have a uh, committed sin, but they are dead because they are in sin. In sin. We sin because we are sinners. Matthew 12 verse 35 reminds us that a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. Well, what about an evil man? The Savior says, an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. And those that know not Christ, know not His salvation, this sin that is within them will bring forth evil things. Yes, they may stop to help someone who is drowning in the river. Yes, they may uh, call uh, the... Emergency services when someone is in help and has crashed their car. Yes, they will not go out, perhaps, some people, and take the life of someone else. But yet, in our hearts, there is wickedness and there is evil. Because of sin. Because of sin. In the Word of God, the word life can refer to the union and relationship that we have with God. But the word dead that we have in verse 1 is the opposite. There is no relationship between you and God because of sin. Because of sin. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. We are in Adam originally. Born in Adam. And in Adam, because he represented us, because he sinned against God, we die. We die. The Westminster Catechism tells us The covenant being made with Adam, not only for himself, but for his posterity. All mankind, descending from him by ordinary generation, sinned in him and fell with him in his first transgression. And so this deadness because of sin in Adam's transgression and the sin of man has been passed upon all of his posterity. And there's those trespasses, those violations against God's law, falling aside when we should have stood upright. Rebellion against God when we should have obeyed Him. And the apostle here draws our attention to who we are as human beings. Dead, wicked, evil in the sight of God. But what are the consequences of this depravity? There is alienation from God. There's no relationship with Him. No relationship with Him. In a corpse there is no life. In the corpse of your spiritual life, there is no desire toward God. Nothing between Him and between you. This world mocks what sin has done to man. This world will laugh at what the Bible says sin does and sin brings, and the ultimate consequences of sin. But yet, in reality, there should not be mockery. There should be horror when we think of sin and what sin has done to man, what sin will continue to do to man, and what sin will do for all eternity for those who die in it, in God's everlasting hell. Our sin, as the Word of God has said, has separated between us and God. It leads to that final separation. A final separation. And the Word of God reminds us of that. The Lord Jesus Christ Himself spoke about the sheep and the goats, the wheat being gathered into the Father's barn and the tares being set on fire. Oh, our sin, our depravity. If we know not Christ, if you know not Christ, you'll lose everything. You will face the wrath of God for all eternity. We read Psalm 51 earlier this evening, and what did the psalmist say? He acknowledged his transgressions. He acknowledged his sin. He turns and he says, verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. He said, verse 5, behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Born in sin, Living in sin, sinning against God against thee, thee only have I sinned, and his pleading was to be purged with hyssop to be clean, to be washed, and he would be whiter than snow. Oh the consequences of sin are severe, but yet with Christ there is hope. And dear believer, this depravity has it has marked us all is marked as all. Joel Beeky's systematic theology states this, that the corruption of sin is like an iron fist, and we cannot deliver ourselves from its vice-like grip. And that's something for us to consider this evening, because when we look at Ephesians chapter 2, Paul is saying, you're dead in trespasses and sins, but this change has taken place. Why? because of you, because of your good works, because of what you've accomplished. Paul says in verse number 9, "...not of works, lest any man should boast." It is not of us. And dear unbeliever, you are powerless to save yourself. You are powerless to stand and walk out of that depravity that has ensnared and engulfed you. There's nothing that you can accomplish to free yourself from the shackles of sin. But verse 4 tells us very clearly, but God, who is rich in mercy. God made the difference. And here, these believers in Ephesus were receiving a letter from the Apostle Paul that is inspired Scripture, reminding them of who they were and what God had done for them. This is who they are, but God. But God. Oh, they were marred by what we refer to as original sin. That sin that passes on down the generations of man. But yet, God made the difference. We think of Psalm 130. What a great psalm that is. Let Israel hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with Him is plenteous redemption. Not just a little redemption, but plenteous redemption. And He shall redeem Israel from all His iniquities. Oh, the depravity of man. The depravity of man. One of the American evangelists of the 19th century, Charles Finney. You should ask my brother sometime about Charles Finney. He's not his biggest fan. That's all I'll say. Uh, Certainly, uh, we've had many discussions about Charles Finney. He was influenced by Plagianism, by Arminianism, and he said, "...the human will is free." Therefore, men have the power or ability to do all their duty. In other words, what is that duty? Loving God with all their heart and soul. Man has the power to do that. No, because of the depravity of his heart, because of his sin, because there is no relationship between him and God. And dear sinner, let me come back to that thought. Nothing you can do can change your soul. Nothing. And Ephesians Who reminds us of that? For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of you. Not of you. My salvation was not of me. It is of Christ. It is of the Lord. When we think of the depravity that we find ourselves in, this utter deadness, oh, that doctrine should stir you to seek Christ who is the Savior. William Perkins the Puritan said, We must never be at rest till we have some assurance and conscience that in Christ we have freedom from this bondage and give thanks that we are delivered from the power of darkness and translated into the kingdom of Christ. Oh, how the depravity of sin can, as it were, swallow, swallow us up. I remember uh, going to uh, the swimming pool with school many, many years ago. I wasn't a great swimmer, uh, but they put us into what we refer to as the deep end. Nowadays, you would see my head sticking out of the deep end, but in those days, I couldn't touch the bottom, and I remember jumping in and swimming, and I got tired, and uh, my head went down, and I went up to the surface, and it happened again, and I suddenly began to panic. I thought, I'm going to drown. I, what am I going to do? And I was oblivious to the fact that there was everyone around me who hopefully would see uh, what happened. Um, did have a friend of oh, someone I knew at school who many years later uh, did lose their life in that pool. But as a young child, long before that happened, um, I thought, oh, someone will see me. And then I began to panic and I began to reach out. And I grabbed the side of the, I was right by the side of the pool and I didn't even realize. And I grabbed the side and I pulled myself, uh, my head, my shoulders out of the water and enjoyed a long deep breath. Oh, how maybe we've experienced, you know, something like that even in our young days. And how fear can creep in. But when we think of sin, sin comes over us. We live in sin. We're ensnared by it. We're enslaved by it. We can't reach out and grab the side and pull ourselves out. It can't be done. It can't be done. It is Christ. But God. But God. Dear believer, rejoice that there is sin ensnared you and enslaved you. It was not your hand that reached up and grabbed safety. It was the hand of Christ that reached in and lifted you up. Oh, when we think of the depravity of man. Do you think on this world, the nations of this world, the people of this world, they're ensnared in the same sin. They're dead in the same trespasses with no hope, with no life. Oh, that we would have a spiritual concern, a deep spiritual concern for those who are ruled by sin, those who are dark to the truth. That not only would this thought and depravity stir you to seek Christ, but it would stir you, dear believer, to reach others for Christ, to spread the gospel, to pray for them, to witness to them, because they are dead and sin, and Christ is the only answer for their souls. But secondly, I want you to see here in this passage, we have our direction. Our direction. Verse number 2, ye worked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the earth, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience." The path of the sinner, the walk of the sinner, the direction of the sinner is mentioned here as something that is at variance with the paths of righteousness. The sinner, the believer in Ephesus, before they were converted, walked not according to the path of the blessed man. They walked according to the course of this world. Sin contributed to that direction. Sin took them away from God. And the path of this world takes men and takes women and takes young people away from the God of heaven. And what does Christ do? In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 to 19, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciliating reconciling the world unto Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto Him, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation, a change, a restoration. And so, the Lord Jesus Christ has reconciled us to God. He's changed us. He's restored us to God. He's brought us nearer to God. And that is in contrast to that great path. That great path. Oh, sin takes you in a direction that is far from God. Far from God. They lived according to the world, the world's ideas, the world's pleasures, the world's outlook, the world's passions, the world's habits. But the world itself cannot save. And that path, that direction cannot save. And if you tonight are on that direction that we have here, the course of this world, it's a path that cannot save you. And maybe you have uh, seen before the uh, artwork, uh, the picture that many would have. And I've seen many copies of it over the years. Uh, You have the narrow path. You have the broad way. It's a painting of that. And you have the narrow path painted. You have the broad way painted. There are two paths. And that broad way is the course of this world. It is that path that does not lead to heaven but leads to hell. A path that, if you look, and using that picture as an example, it moves away from the picture. It does not go to the same destination as that narrow path. It's a path that takes you far from God. Wherein, in time past, he walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the earth, Paul said in Acts 26, his ministry was to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. His ministry was to preach to those who here in Ephesus were on that course, that their eyes would be opened. Dear sinner, tonight, no matter what you think of this world and the world's path and the world's enjoyments, oh that your eyes would be opened, that the pleasures of sin, as the word of God says, lasts but for a season. There's an end. There's a limit placed upon them, not merely a limit because this world is going to end, but a limit of satisfaction. Oh, how many indulge, and then it's not enough, and you've got to do something else, and do more and do more and do more. The little doesn't satisfy. And you need more. And the more doesn't satisfy. And you need more. Oh, how that is used to entice individuals into sin. Oh, that your eyes would be opened. Oh, that this direction in your life would be changed. And dear believer, your direction ought not to be the one that we have here in verse 2. Your direction is different. Paul is speaking here in past tense. He's saying to these believers, we're in, in time past. Not now, but in the past he walked according to the course of this world. This is something that you did when you were dead in trespasses and sins. But this is something that ought not to be happening now. And dear believer, Christ has made the difference in your life. Your path, your walk is different. It's a walk according to to the Word of God. It's a walk that is in light and not in darkness. It's a walk that brings honor and glory to Christ. Not a walk according to the prince of the power of this earth. Be close to the Lord. Seek the Lord. That your walk would continue to be that righteous walk. Oh, how we can get sidetracked. Oh, how we can go down the wrong street. Take the wrong turn in the road. But as believers, our course ought to be fixed according to God's Word. Not turning from the left or to the right, but keeping straight ahead. That is our direction. Governed by Christ. Governed by His Word. Let us seek with all our heart not to walk according to the course of this world, but to leave it behind. And to walk for for Christ, to honor Him, and to glorify Him. And then, thirdly, I want you to see our damnation. Our damnation. These three thoughts, so far, reminding us of our past. And this thought reminding us not only of our past, but what our future would be without Christ. Uh, Verse 3 tells us there, the end of that verse, "...and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others." Sinners, those who reject Christ, who know not Christ, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who have not been redeemed by Christ, will face the wrath of God for their sin and for their unbelief. Turn with me to John chapter 3. John's Gospel and the chapter 3 And of course, verse 16, we have that great gospel verse. But in verse 18, He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What is Christ saying here? Those that believe are not condemned. And with that belief is repentance, that change of heart, that living for Christ, that salvation, redemption. But he that believeth not, he who does not believe, who does not repent, who does not look to Christ, is condemned already. They will be damned. The wrath of God is upon them. Christ warned men and women to flee from that wrath. Paul warned about that wrath. In 1 Corinthians 5, he speaks about all of us appearing before the judgment seat of Christ. Standing before Him, giving account to our lives. Oh, the wrath that is upon those who are sinners. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, the verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If you know not Christ tonight, let me ask you that question. How shall you escape the wrath of God if you neglect Christ's so great salvation? How shall you escape the wrath of God if you neglect Christ's so great salvation? It is impossible. It cannot be done. The Word of God is clear in telling us that salvation is through Christ alone. Paul here in Ephesians 2 is clear in reminding us that it is God who makes the difference. It is God who saves. And if that salvation is neglected, how can you escape? You cannot. You cannot. The children of wrath, even as others. And so Paul paints this picture, and it's a picture of no hope. If we take out the fact he's speaking to those who've believed, it's a message of no hope. There's nothing that can be done. If we add into it, verse 9, Not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation cannot be accomplished by us. It's a message of no hope. Nothing can be done. And, dear unbeliever tonight, this is what you must understand. Nothing can save you. Nothing in this world can save you. It cannot be done. Your sin, that spiritual disease, cannot be changed by you or by anyone here. It cannot be done. It is impossible. And we'll come to verse 4 in a moment. But God, that's the difference here. That's what can be done. God makes the difference. Dear believer, remember your sinfulness. Remember who you were in the sight of God. This is what Paul is saying here. You were dead. You had no hope. There's nothing could save you. Remember who you were. And oh, does that not humble us when we think of who we were? Does not humble you when you think of your sin and your wickedness before the Holy God, but yet... But God made the difference in your life. Oh, the sins we were capable of doing, the sins that we did commit, the old sinful flesh that rebelled against God. Remember those things, but remember those things in the sense of rejoicing in what Christ has done for you. Christ has changed your life completely. Dear unbeliever, if you're engaged in great sin, Christ can change your life, redeem you, lift you up out of that miry clay and set your feet upon the rock. Oh, if we truly love Christ, let us flee from what we have here. Let us flee from that sin. Let us flee, as verse 3 says, the lusts of the flesh, the desires of the flesh and the mind. That direction that is wrong, let us flee from it all and live for Christ, the one who has redeemed us from facing the wrath of God. And why is that? Because Christ faced the wrath of God for His people. He endured God's wrath for us. He suffered in the place of His people. Oh, when we think of this chapter and what has been done here, Verse 12 reminds us, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. That brings us to our final thought. Our deliverance. Our deliverance. Not just something that perhaps may be in the past for some of us, but our deliverance is something we're living in now. Our deliverance is something that we rejoice in now and we will rejoice in in the future what Christ has done for us. And Paul brings their attention back to their former condition and reminds them straight that God made the difference here. Verse 5, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. Those who were dead are raised up to be with Christ. Oh, how marvelous that is! Wrath condemned forever, but God and Christ who died for us. And Paul's great point here is, man can do nothing. God has done everything that is needed. Christ has died. Christ has redeemed us. By grace, ye are saved. God alone is the author of this great change. And dear sinner, may you look to the Lord. May you look to Christ. Look to Christ alone for that great change in your life. It is of mercy. Verse 4, we see that God who is rich in mercy, something we don't deserve. We see in verse 5, by grace you are saved again. Grace alone, there's mercy, there's pardon, there's unmerited favor. When we think of who we are, what favor can we have? Think of John Newton who wrote that hymn, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, he looked at his life, and he saw Ephesians 2. And there in Ephesians 2, as he saw in his life, he saw God. But God made the difference. It's the great love of God, verse 4. For His great love wherewith He loved us. Verse 5, there's that word quickening. He has made us alive. Verse 6, we've been raised up together and made to sit in heavenly places as sinners. But sinners redeemed by Christ. Sinners redeemed by Christ. And then verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. The workmanship of Christ. We went from being rebels, those who are corrupt, to being the workmanship of the Lord Jesus Christ. All because of Christ. All because of Christ. As much could be said here, you could probably preach a series or preach for a year in these verses. I think we're merely just glancing at them. There's so much here as to what Christ has done for the believer. Dear believer, let us rejoice now in what Christ has done. Let us rejoice in the future because we are His workmanship. We are those who've been reconciled to Him. We are those who were far off but now are brought nigh and one day will be brought to see the Savior face to face. What a future that is. What a future that is. Let us serve Christ. Let us witness for Christ. Let us desire to be the workmanship of Christ. Oh, the love of God, the grace of the Lord toward us. God's Word reminds us neither is there salvation in any other for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Christ alone is our Savior. In the way of righteousness is life and in the pathway thereof, there is no death, says Proverbs 12, 28. Oh, what Christ has done, dear believer, do you thank the Lord for what He has done, for what He has changed you from? That you are His workmanship? Do you rejoice in Him? Do you seek to tell others of what Christ has done? Oh, our blessed Savior who died for us. The love of the Lord. I was given this morning a piece of paper, photocopied. I believe it's Spurgeon morning and evening. It looks like Spurgeon and sounds like Spurgeon so it must be Spurgeon unless it's, uh, uh, there's a new AI on the internet and it can write Uh, Poems in the style of Shakespeare. So I don't know if uh, someone went on and said write a devotional in the style of Spurgeon and there we go. I don't think that's what happened. I think it's the genuine article here. Uh, But he speaks about the love of the Lord. About the Christ who has loved thee and pardoned thee shall never cease to love and pardon. He says, Therefore, bethink thee when thou shalt pass through the valley of the shadow of death. Thou needest fear no evil for he is with thee. When thou shalt stand in the cool floods of Jordan, thou needest not fear, for death cannot separate thee from his love. And he quotes that verse, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, that great love Nothing can separate us from that love. Now, soul, is not thy love refreshed, Spurgeon said. Does not this make thee love Jesus? Surely, as we meditate on the love of the Lord, our hearts burn within us and we long to love Him more. Ephesians chapter 2 reminds us of that great love. reminds us of what God has done. For guilty, hell-deserving sinners like you and I. Oh, when we think of His love for us, do we love Him more? Do we love Him more? Sinner, when you think of what Christ has done for sinners such as you, do you love Him? Are you drawn to Him? Has He stepped into your life to deliver you? By grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. May we love Him more. May we rejoice in Him for His great love wherewith He loved us. Let us pray. Our eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy great love toward us. O Father, when we think in these verses how limited we are, not merely by time, maybe by our attention spans, How limited we are, perhaps, also by words. To fully comprehend, to understand, to fully be able to preach the great love that we see here in Ephesians 2. But, Father, we pray that even as we've considered as a word just a little green from this passage, we pray that we would be reminded of sin and what sin is in thy sight, that we would flee from sin. We would look to Christ and rejoice that without thee, where would we be? But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. Father, we pray we would love thee. Draw us closer to thee, we pray, to be those here outside of Christ a cold at heart. We ask, O oh God, Thou would draw them to thyself. Warm their hearts, we pray. We ask Thee that that deadness would be changed and reanimated, quickened through the power of Christ. They would look on to the Lord Jesus Christ as the author and finisher of their faith. Father, may we love Thee more. Even this week, we pray that even before we... Arrive at our homes, we would know that we love thee more. And Father, oh, that love for thee may be seen within our lives. Through mortifying the deeds of the flesh from avoiding sin, may be seen in speaking for thee and holding high the banner of the cross. Father, we pray thou would bless us and do us good. We do pray that the love of God our Father grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of God the Holy Spirit would rest, remain, and abide with us both now and forevermore. Amen.